Hello, my friends. It is already a glorious day, because I am speaking with you again. I am still reeling from the joy of speaking with you last week. This feels comfortable. Correct. It is also a glorious day because it is summer, and the woods are beautiful in the summer. The woods are always beautiful, I suppose, but in the summer, the nighttime is especially alive. And recall, I am no longer a bringer of death, a messenger of sorrow. I can tell because of the things that grow from me now. If I let them, which I do, then tiny little green sprigs with leaves and flowers sprout from my joints, here and there on a shoulder on a knuckle, from an elbow. It hurts only a little, but I like the way they look, so I tend to leave them. I've been hearing voices in the forest. Well, to be honest, I hear them even now. I hear them constantly, lately, echoing from a far distant place. I've tried to follow them, but I cannot find them. The voices never grow closer, nor farther away, so I'm not sure whether or not I actually can find them. And the strange thing is that I'm not sure I want to. You see, they sound so familiar. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure who they are. I remember very little about what happened to me before this. I mostly remember stories. It's always easier to remember someone else's story than it is to remember your own, isn't it? I wonder why that is. But I don't remember much about before. I remember faces. I remember one face in particular more clearly than others. But it's still vague. I think that once I find the source of these voices, it might become all the more clear. So to try, I do what I can. I walk through the woods, singing as I please, but I don't think they care for my song. I leave little trinkets, little gifts that I make myself, from spinning my own hair into string and decorating it with little shells, crystals, acorns. Whatever pleasing little things I can find. Though I don't do this for the human travelers who roam these woods at times, I know that they hear me singing in an echoing, foggy voice. And I know they find my little sparkling treasures. And they think it is for them. They think that the forest is haunted or that it is magical. I think that it is both. I don't mind giving them the gift of ghosts and magic. But this is not for them. This is for... This is for the voices that I hear constantly. And that one voice that sounds the most familiar. As I promised, I drew a card from the tarot deck this week. I keep it with me at all times in case I need to know immediately what direction to go or how the wind is feeling. I found my way to a secret little place 
hidden within a perilous entryway of a thicket of brambles, lichen, ivy, and thorns, and roots, many, many tree roots, small and large. I was forced to dig the rough and broken nails of my fingers and toes into the dirt, and crawl my way through a very small tunnel of the sharp and treacherous plant shoots around me. I was concerned, perhaps, that this tunnel never ended, and that I would be unable to turn around. Strange. Is this what claustrophobia feels like? I can't remember if I felt it before. The cuts and scrapes along my arms and legs were a small price to pay for what I was soon to be rewarded with, however. The cluster of thorns around me soon expanded, and soon the tunnel over me was high enough that I could raise myself to my elbows, then to my knees, then to my feet, and then there was a ceiling over me so high that I could jump. There were enough tiny spaces between the thorns that I could see moonlight streaming in through them, in little beams of pure white light. The floor was carpeted with moss. There was a huge trunk in the center of this room that reached through this makeshift ceiling, up and out. This was the tree. The one whose roots contributed to this little cottage. This is a little cottage. I thought to myself, I could sit on a mighty tree root, and I could lay my cards on a flat rock that sat right before it. A little cottage, all my own. In this newfound peace and safety, I lay down my deck of cards, and was surprised to draw the Ten of Swords. The Ten of Swords has no peace and no safety. It means crisis. It means having the entire world turned on its head, in your life. It means unexpected, awful endings, betrayal from a loved or trusted one, and defeat. But you mustn't be afraid, for from defeat we can gain knowledge and become even stronger. I think perhaps that is me. Perhaps that is all of us. There is no pain that cannot be learned from. Don't be afraid. This is just for the story this week that I have for you. It is just a story. You can relax. Take a deep breath. Join me in my little tree cottage for a little bit, where everything is safe and quiet. Focus on the story. There was once a soldier. Well, he was something like a soldier. He fought for his country and invaded other countries when he was told to, and he was very good at it. But in some ways, he was very unlike a soldier. He did not fight with sword and shield always, but rather, most often, with cunning and guile. He was often sent on missions that required a more delicate touch, for he knew many languages and was skilled in deception. If they had had a word for spy where and when he came from, he might very well be something like that. 
So this soldier found himself wandering towards a city. He had removed his shoes and torn his clothes. He had instructed the sailor who left him here to hit him hard three times in the face, so that he would be adequately bruised and bloodied upon arrival. He removed anything gold, any coins or coin purses, anything of value from his person, and he stumbled towards the harbor town. It was midday, and the place was alive and bustling, with unsuspecting laughter and gossip. How oblivious they were. It had been over a hundred years since the last invasion from their strong and domineering and ruthless neighboring country that this undercover soldier was from, and it appeared that they had grown comfortable once more, complacent, easy pickings. He smiled one last time before grimacing in mock pain and crying out for help, falling to his feet in the middle of the square. Everyone stopped what they were doing and turned to the stranger in need. Several strong adults helped him to his feet and carried him to the local doctor. A group of concerned little children trailed behind until someone shepherded them gently back to where they had been playing. The doctor, an elderly woman, dressed the man's wounds and pressed frozen slabs of meat to his bruises. In no time, a family who had lost their patriarch just that very year offered to allow the man to stay in their empty room to recuperate. A week or so passed, and the man enjoyed gracious hospitality at the hands of his naive enemies. The family he stayed with provided him with food, water, clothing, and shelter. He enjoyed long strolls in town at the recommendation of the old doctor to stretch his legs and learn as much about the city as he possibly could, and he saw more than they could know. He saw where the walls were weakest. He was shown the city's oldest castle, a small, unimpressive thing where they kept their weapons, and their weapons were scant and outdated. This place also held the city's storage of rations, and a surprisingly impressive collection of gold and jewels from their kings and queens of long ago. But even more importantly than this to these people was their sacred place for the dead. It was in a green clearing, just to the north of the town, and it was the strangest burial ground the stranger had seen. The headstones were plain and simple, just rectangular slabs of stone, and they had no markings on them. When he asked why, his guide, incidentally the kind and wise old doctor, simply replied, There is no one here, dead or alive, who is more important than any other. We honor all who were lost in this land, and they protect all of us equally in turn. These stones were arranged in a series of circles, radiating out from the center. And indeed, there was no place that was held in any higher respect in the cemetery than any of the others. The soldier puzzled over this, for in his land he was a respected warrior, despite the fact that he was not. But he longed to be feared. He longed to have a monument built in his honor after his death. But, 
What could he expect from a strange, fragile, weak little country such as this one? They deserved everything they would have wrought upon them soon enough. Never mind the children who played with him in the streets and clapped their hands when he told them stories of his home country. Never mind the kind pats on the back the folks at the tavern gave him when they expressed their joy at seeing how well he was. Never mind the kind embrace of the old doctor when she wished him health and prosperity, as he took one of their horses, a bag of their provisions, and headed home. The soldier's captain rewarded him handsomely for the information he was able to give upon his return. No, they will be unable to fight back, he related to the leader with a mirthless laugh. Their walls are weak, their weapons are outdated, and they have basically no army to speak of. This would be their easiest conquest yet, just like it had been for their ancestors one hundred years ago. When he returned to that generous city, he wore his finest shining armor. He wore a helmet with golden, ornate horns. He kept his head held tall. He wanted them to know that he was no wanderer. He was a great warrior where he was from, and they were unwise to have trusted him. They came into the harbor in the dead of night in their silent, swift ships. The warriors descended upon the town in a matter of minutes. They fired cannons at the weak stone walls. They shot flaming arrows at the frail watchtowers. And the soldier, the spy, led his regiment to the pitiful, rarely used palace at the center of the town where they kept their weapons and their prized goods. There were no guards to meet them outside. There were no arrows fired in retaliation. There was no one here at all, anywhere in town. No one. As they neared the palace, they were shocked to see that it was all in flames. So much for this great treasure, the soldier's captain said in a rage as he withdrew his long sword from his side. Wait, the cowardly, treacherous soldier cried out, holding his hands in front of him. They wouldn't destroy it. It's all they have. It's too important to them, he whispered. And he thought for a moment about what they might have done. It's too important to them. Then he recalled the other place of great import that he had been shown. The cemetery. He led the army to the northern field where he knew those circles of graves stood. The entire city's population stood among the round rows of graves, facing the center. And in the clearing in the middle of the graves were their jewels, their gold, their history. The little history that had remained for them to keep after the first attack by their brutal invaders one hundred years ago. As the enemy army approached and drew their weapons, they didn't take time to wonder why the citizens didn't turn and face them, or try to run. They all just continued to face the center, just as all the graves did. Wait, the traitor soldier said. 
he heard something. Do not fall asleep below. The scars won't mend, the pain won't end. For ye who fate will keep below. Their voices began to grow louder and louder, and they began to step in time with one another against the ground. Wake, oh, wake. Wake, oh, wake. First gently, but then with increasing strength. Soon it sounded as though drums were playing beneath the earth. Louder and louder they stomped their feet. They shouted their prayer. And then they stopped all at once. And all was silent. And the invading army regiment laughed at what they thought was quaint superstition. They casually walked towards the center of the circle, knocking people over as they pleased, perhaps grabbing them and tossing them aside, perhaps even beating them with the butt of their sword. But the people did not budge from their circles, if they could help it, and they did not remove their eyes from the treasure at the center. Just as the invading army reached it, a huge white light fell upon them, temporarily blinding everyone. When it was gone and their eyes adjusted to the night's darkness once more, they realized with horror that the gold, the jewels, the crowns, and the weapons had all disappeared. They were gone, entirely. Knowing that it was his head on the line, the coward soldier raised his sword and turned to face the citizens of this place that had so warmly welcomed him. You. You who have learned nothing all this time. Give to us what is rightfully ours. We have conquered your city, and soon your country. You are ours now, and you owe us tribute. We conquer you tonight, just as we did one hundred years ago. And he heard a voice among the crowd say, To the night. The old doctor made her way to him. She was not afraid. She was calm. She repeated, One hundred years ago, to the night. The man hissed at her and grabbed her threatening her with his sword. He turned to the people, thinking they would make a move to stop him from harming their esteemed elder. But no one moved, not even a muscle. And he realized at this point that they were... They were not alone. There were twice as many people now than there were at first. Now, where there had been space between every person who chanted and prayed and stomped their feet, they stood shoulder to shoulder, and between every person who he recognized as being an inhabitant of the city in their appearance and dress, there stood someone else, someone wearing dusty, torn, and muddied clothes from a different time, from perhaps about a century ago. Someone who hadn't been there before, when they first came upon the people in the cemetery. Someone who wore a veil, a shroud, of some sort, 
over their face. And the chanting resumed again, but not from the mouths of the city folk. The dry, croaking, terrible voices were coming from behind those veils. And they broke the circle and began to walk towards the center, towards their enemies. They continued to chant. They had not forgotten, you see. One hundred years ago, the worst crisis, the Ten of Swords, if you will, happened to this city. They lost so much, but more importantly, they lost so many. Prince, pauper, young and old, all mourned alike. And so they decided that they shall all mourn together. They created this cemetery with the vow to themselves and to each other that they would never allow man's hunger for power to harm them ever again. You were sent to us at the perfect time, my friend. The old doctor said to the coward who still held her in his arms violently, How better to honor our dead than to give them the gift of vengeance? They could not protect our city before. But you have given them the chance to do so now. The people wearing the veils kept marching forward, whispering, chanting. They removed their veils. Each of them revealed a gleaming, grinning skull underneath. Some skulls were broken, some were cracked, some were perfect. And and for the first time in centuries, the warriors who had grown so accustomed to invading wherever they wished and taking whatever they desired, trembled. But still they fought. Except for the one, the traitor. He watched as the townspeople, the alive townspeople, that is, watched on in silence as the army of the dead descended. And he turned to them, not the dead, and he fell to his knees and wept for forgiveness. Is there nothing I can do? He begged. The old doctor knelt before him, looking him in the eye. Meanwhile, he saw his captain, his fellow soldiers, trying desperately to stave off the hordes of the dead, and failing. She said to him, You only had to return our generosity and trust with acceptance and gratitude. He nodded, 
I know. She continued. We had every reason to hate you, and yet you were the one to return our love with hate. He nodded. I am sorry for it. She grabbed him by the hair, though with surprising gentleness, almost like a scolding grandmother. Say that again. He cried out to the wind. I am sorry. And that great flash of light came once more. And the skeletal army from one hundred years ago was gone. His captain and his army were gone. The townspeople were gone. And the sun shone brightly, as brightly as it had the midday when he first was brought to this sacred place by the old doctor. In fact, she was there with him still. And he realized that his wounds were still dressed, and he was wearing the same clothes he had been wearing that day. And so was she. She smiled at him. So, traveler, will you stay? Or will you return to your country? His breath was fast and deep as he stood in the center of this burial ground. He saw all of the stones, blank and beautiful. He realized as he heard children laughing in the distance and singing from the town square that he could be just one of these many stones, and equally honored as any of them. The old doctor smiled and turned from him, walking back to town. The traveler fell to the ground and pressed his lips to it. He whispered, There will be no need for vengeance tonight. And he wasn't sure why, but he turned his face and pressed his ear to the ground, where he could swear he heard the sound of stomping feet, or was it drums, far, far down below. He stayed there for the rest of his life. He learned how to care for the people here. At first, because he felt he had to, but eventually, because he wanted to. You see, there is a law called Lex Talionis. It means the law of the claw, or as we know it, an eye for an eye. It started with him wanting to keep both of his eyes and it ended with no longer desiring anyone else's eye to begin with. Does that make sense? At any rate, he lived a good life. He learned how to be happy. He learned to no longer think of himself as a mighty, decorated coward. And once he was able to do that, he learned to not need ornate golden horns atop his head to feel that he was a great man. I am a good man. Most of the time. And that is enough, he told me once. The ground still rumbles in that city, though. That city where the dead wait, ready, just in case. The Ten of Swords doesn't need to be frightening if we learn from our failure. 
Please don't be angry with me that I gave you an ending like I did for this one. I so rarely give you an it-was-all-a-dream. But please know how highly I value dreams. And I should know better than anyone. Dreams can be more real than whatever not dreaming may be. Sometimes, after all, I'm... I'm unsure as to whether or not I'm a dream myself. I still hear that voice in the woods. Even from within my little tree cottage here. I think they're right outside. Maybe they need to hear a story, too. Good night out there. And good night to you, too, my friends. Hello again, dear friends, and thank you so much for listening in this week to episode 102 of On a Dark Cold Night. This is Kristen Zaza here again, writer, performer, composer, etc. I hope you're doing well this week. Thank you so much for the very warm welcome I received upon my return last week. I really missed this, so it felt wonderful. First, some thank yous this week. I'd like to thank my two new Patreon supporters, Sarah Galligan and Jennifer Gostin. Thank you so much for wanting to help support me as I continue to create these stories. It really means the world to me. If you'd like to become a patron as well, like Sarah and Jennifer, head on over to patreon.com slash darkcoldnight, where every patron of any amount receives access to my soundtrack. If you only want to pay once instead of monthly and aren't interested in the soundtrack, you can also support the show through coffee.com at ko-fi.com slash darkcoldnight. Finally, we also have t-shirts and hoodies available for purchase at bonfire.com slash on-a-dark-cold-night. I'd also like to thank the following listeners for taking the time to leave a review for the show. Big thanks to iTunes user R-A-M-Z-B-K-R, who left a lovely five-star review. And thank you to Mandy White, another wonderful patron, who left us a very kind recommendation on our Facebook page. Thank you both so much. If you're also enjoying the show, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or our Facebook page. You can also give me a shout and a follow on social media. I would love to hear from you there. Find me on Twitter at A Dark Cold Night, Instagram at Dark Cold Night Podcast, or on my Facebook page or YouTube channel, both called On A Dark Cold Night. Thank you so much again for listening tonight. Thinking of you all and hoping you're staying well out there. Sweet dreams, friends. This podcast has been brought to you by the Sonar Network. Sonar.